trumpets play a prominent role in Scripture. For instance, trumpets were used to call God's people together for special occasions and for many of the feasts of the Israelites. Uh, trumpets blew when Solomon became the king of Israel. And of course, the ultimate trumpet blast will be heard when the Lord Jesus Christ returns for the second time. But trumpets are also frequently used in Scripture to denote judgment. The Old Testament prophet Joel gives us an example of this. In Joel chapter 2, verse 1, he wrote, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Why, Joel? For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. The day of the Lord is the final judgment day. Sometimes when the trumpet sounded, it meant that God was going to work on behalf of his people. We have an excellent illustration of this in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua. When the children of Israel finally crossed over into the promised land after their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they were confronted with their first obstacle that had to be dealt with if they were going to take possession of the promised land. That obstacle was a city named Jericho. And God instructed Joshua to tell the men of war uh, to be accompanied by seven priests who each had a, a trumpet. And for six days, they were to circle the perimeter of the city just one time while the priests blew their trumpets. But on the seventh day, they were to circle the city seven times while the police, the screws, excuse me, the priests blew their trumpets as well. Joshua 6, 5 says, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up everyone straight before him. Then dropping down to verse 16 says, and at the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. They marched, the trumpets blew, they shouted, and the walls fell down flat. And this miraculous event began the process of God's people taking possession of the land that he had promised to give to them. When the trumpet sounded, uh, God, as Richard Phillips says, intervened on behalf of his people. When the trumpet sounded, God intervened on behalf of his people. That's what we see here in Revelation chapter 8. Now, we are entering into some of the more difficult passages of the book of Revelation. So this morning, I'm going to take some time to try and help us get a, get a firm foundation under our feet so we don't go off into the wild blue yonder with lots of speculation. What we are about to enter into here is the third cycle of visions 
that John saw. And in this vision, John sees seven angels who were given seven trumpets. Now, the first question we need to nail down is, what does the blowing of the trumpets represent? Well, the blowing of the trumpets represent judgment coming to planet Earth. And no part of creation is going to escape this judgment. The text says a third of the trees were destroyed. All the grass are destroyed. By the way, the word destroyed there was many times used in connection with war, and it denoted the burning that would go along with war. In other words, it was a scorched earth policy. So a third of the sea becomes blood, and a third of all that lived in the sea died, and a third of all the ships are destroyed, and the land is judged, and the sea is judged. But God is not done. A third part of all fresh water becomes bitter, which results in the death of a third of mankind. Then finally, the sun and the moon and the stars are judged so that they lose a third of their light. Darkness in Scripture is many times associated with the judgment of God. So when we work our way through these seven trumpets, please know they are dealing with judgment. William Hendrickson wrote in his really excellent little commentary on Revelation, he said, these trumpets of judgment indicate series of happenings. That is calamities that will occur again and again throughout this dispensation. They do not symbolize single and separate events, but they refer to woes that may be seen any day of the year in any part of the globe. And then he makes this very important statement. Therefore, the trumpets are synchronous with the seals. Keep that thought in mind. We'll return to it here in just a moment. Grant Osborne says the purpose of the trumpets is to prove the absolute sovereignty of God and to provide a final chance to repent. With each plague, plague judgment, a further part of the world order experiences partial destruction. So again... When we read of the trumpets here in Revelation, we should automatically associate them with the judgment of God here in Revelation chapter 8. So last week, we learned that the angel filled his golden censer with fire from the golden altar, and he cast it upon the earth, and he did so in response to the prayers of God's people. Well, likewise, the seven trumpets are sounded also in response to the prayers of God's people. They are sounded as an answer to the prayers of the saints. If you remember, the, the, souls, the, the, the souls under the altar cried out asking God how long it would be before he avenged their blood and judge those who dwelt on the earth. And if I haven't made this clear before, that phrase, those who dwell on the earth, are referring to the unbelievers of the, the earth. So as we work our way through the trumpet judgments, what we are seeing is the detailed response 
the detailed answer of God to the prayers of the saints. But we're seeing more than that. We are also seeing God's grace in action in using these judgments in order to call people to repentance. It's judgment, yes, but the judgment is also an act of grace. He's trying, he's using these judgments to call people's attention that something's wrong. So it is an act of grace. Now, this morning, some may have to undergo a change of perception. What I mean by that is an understanding of what John sees and describes here should change our opinion of what many people call natural disasters or mother nature at work. As I said in prayer meeting, this is, this is not for the faint of heart. And it very well may challenge your preconceived notions of God to a certain degree. But I would encourage you to please let the text speak for itself. We have been so preconditioned in many ways of what we think God is and how God works. And many times when we come to the scriptures and our preconceived notions run headlong into the scriptures, we're confused. We may even be a little upset. But I would encourage you to let the scriptures speak for themselves. Because the text clearly demonstrates that the calamities that take place in nature are not natural disasters at all. Rather, they are the acts of God in response to the prayers of his people. And each one of these disasters are carefully designed to bring sinful mankind to repent of their sins and confess confess faith in Christ. All right? So let the text speak for itself. Now, the next question is, what is the timing of these events? When do these actually happen? Have they already happened? Are they happening right now? Or are they going to take place in the future? The vast majority of the evangelical church believes that the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, the six seals, the seven seals, they all are going to take place in the future. But that is not correct. You remember some time back, I did my best to explain that the events in Revelation do not take place in a linear fashion. In other words, you can't draw a timeline and begin to plug in certain dates in history and begin to associate the events in Revelation with specific events. Certainly, the book of Revelation does unfold history for us. But it does not unfold history for us 
in a sequential manner. Again, you can't draw yourself a timeline and begin to pinpoint when these things are going to happen. The problem with trying to do that is this. You really have to force your interpretation of events on the scriptures rather than letting the scriptures speak for themselves. And you really make a big hash of things in trying to interpret the book of Revelation if you want to lay things out very neatly so that it's more easy for us to understand. Listen, I've been, I've been working on Revelation for a long time now and still my head spins. I'm like, where are we? What's going on? What's happening? So we have to come back to, this, to, to our understanding that this book happens in a series of cycles. Okay? And with each cycle, as we will see as we go through Revelation, the judgments become more intense. So, what does this mean for us in the blowing of the seven trumpets? Here's what it means. The blowing of the seven trumpets or the sounding of the seven trumpets happens simultaneously with the opening of the seven seals. We could say that they are simultaneous and parallel events. Now, if you go back to the seventh seal, we learned what? That was the D-Day, if you will. That was the final day of judgment. So if that was the final day of judgment, then why would we have these seven trumpets now being sounded if everything had been wrapped up with the seventh seal? So are you beginning to see how this works? Okay. So the seven, seven seals are opened at the same time the seven trumpets are sounding. They are simultaneous and parallel events. And again, what we are going to see as we work our way through the book of Revelation is an intensifying of God's judgments against those who persecute the people of God. And again, the further we get into the book, the judgments become more severe. And not only is the earth, planet earth, the physical earth, the creation judged, mankind is judged, but also the governments and the economic systems of this world are judged. That's when we get to the point where Babylon is destroyed and all the merchants of the earth have a breakdown because their whole economic system has been collapsed. And who collapses it? God does in response to the prayers of his people. So as each individual trumpet is blown, we need to recognize, we need to understand that these are not individual judgments that take place sometime in the future, but they are categories of judgment that repeatedly take place in each and every generation. And let me remind you one more time, because this is, this is absolutely critical to our understanding of the book of Revelation, we're dealing with symbolism. This is an apocryphal literature, a book that uses symbols and numbers to convey truth for every generation of Christians. Remember our guiding principle. It had to make sense to that very first generation of Christians who received this letter. 
So therefore, it also has to make sense to every generation of Christians who read this letter. Richard Phillips, he's so helpful here. He says this, it is obvious throughout the book that the visions are not to be understood literally, but contain symbols that depict historical realities. In other words, the calamities that, that come upon the earth, that have already come upon the earth, that will come upon the earth, they are depicted in these symbols. That's what the symbols are trying to communicate to us. Hey, something tough's going to happen, and God is behind it. So, instead of going through each one of the trumpets today, what I thought I would do is, again, try and continue to lay a foundation, not only for the seven trumpets, but for the seven bowls that are coming. And I want to do that by making just three observations. And each observation can be applied to, whether it's the seven uh, seals, the seven trumpets, or the seven bowls. So here we go. Number one, observation number one. There's no place on earth below or in heaven above where unrepentant sinners can escape the judgment of God. What's the old saying? You can run, but you can't hide. That's what these judgments show us. There's not a place on planet earth that you can outrun the judgment of God, that you can escape the judgment of God. You can't take a, a, a rocket to the moon and escape the judgment of God. All of creation is going to be judged. And each one of these four trumpets describe God's judgment on nature as a warning to unrepentant sinners. It's so important that we as believers understand that. How many times are we guilty of blaming this fictional character, Mother Nature, for these things that happen? Do you realize when we sit by silently and let Mother Nature either take the blame or the credit, we are defaming the sovereignty of God? Mother Nature is not sovereign. Mother Nature doesn't exist. God is sovereign overall, and that includes all of his creation. Simon Keesmaker summarizes, he says, the sound of the trumpets usher in God's judgments in the form of punishments that affect the earth, the sea, the rivers, springs of water, the heavenly bodies, and the abyss. So these seven seals, the seven trumpets, you know what they are? They're God's warning shots to humanity. There are visible reminders that they cannot escape his judgment. And the only way of escape for sin, sinful individuals is for them to turn in repentance from their sins and embrace Christ by faith. So that's the first observation. You can run, but you can't hide. Observation number two. God uses what mankind worships, i.e. nature, as an instrument of judgment against them. Don't we live in a culture that worships nature? Well, again, we're back to this mother nature nonsense. But God is going to use the very thing that sinful mankind worships as an instrument of judgment against them. Paul said in Romans 1, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
And what an affront it must be to our holy, righteous God to see people worshiping the creation rather than the creator. That is just so blasphemous to worship what has been made rather than the one who has made it. So in response, God uses what they have chosen to worship to warn them that unless they turn to Christ, they will be judged by the one who created them. And you know who will not be on the scene? You know who will not be of any help? Mother Nature. There can be no help from a fictional figment of our imagination. And they will realize the fallacy of what they have done. To worship the creation rather than the creator. And you know, we know from scripture that God does use the creation. God uses nature to reveal his glory. But it's also true that God uses the creation to reveal his sovereignty. And all I have to do is say, high wind Friday. There was absolutely nothing we could do to stop the wind blowing. The Imperials years ago had a song called, Let the Wind Blow. I wanted to rewrite it Friday and say, no, don't let the wind blow. But we were absolutely powerless to do anything about it, weren't we? We couldn't shorten the duration of the time that it blew, nor could we lessen the intensity of the wind as it blew. Why? Because we're not sovereign. God is. We can rant and rave and curse and everything else that we want to do, but it's not going to change the wind blowing, is it? We were powerless. There's absolutely nothing we could do. Driving around town yesterday, I saw two huge trees. One on Bria College's campus. Uh, sadly, it didn't take out anything. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, sorry, I didn't mean that. It, 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 gladly, it didn't take out anything. And then there's one over there on Glades Road. It was even bigger than Tree on Bria College's campus. And they're both laying there like silent sentinels, just ready for someone to come along with a chainsaw and hack them up and take them away. They were a testimony to the sovereignty of God. The experience of, fr of Friday was God shouting loudly and clearly, do you get it? You're not in control. I'm in control. I sent this wind to show you that unless you repent, because you have sown the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. And do you realize that events such as the one that happened on Friday present us with an incredible opportunity to help people understand that there is a creator and that they are responsible to him? See? People say, man, wasn't that something? Yeah, God was really active on Friday. What do you mean? Well, you've just got an open door, right? 
As one man said, God is either in control of everything or God is in control of nothing. I remember hearing John Piper speak in person at Cedarville College very shortly after the tsunami that took place in December 2004, in which, what was it, almost a quarter of a million people lost their lives. And of course, there were all kinds of uh, articles being written and, you know, how do we make sense of this? And particularly as Christians, how should we make sense of this? And Piper is always with such clarity that he has. He said, it's very simple. We tell people it was an act of God. It was a demonstration of the wrath of God. And it is a clear warning to the unrepentant that unless you repent of your sins and come to faith in Christ, you will experience the ultimate judgment of God. Now, you can imagine that wasn't a very popular message, but it was the right message. Why are we so afraid to speak the truth? We take no joy. Listen, I sat in the dark for way too long. I told Jeff and Ben, I think yesterday, that uh, I felt like a, a lazy Puritan. Well, the lights were out. Uh, Puritan, because I sat in the dark, lazy because I didn't do anything. I mean, you know, just sit there. We don't take any joy from those whose houses are damaged or lives that were lost or anything like that. But we have to be honest about the situation. It wasn't just some weather event. One of the local weathermen, I think, was blaming the National Weather Service for not quite getting it right. What, what good does that do? Crazy. These kinds of opportunities, these kinds of events are opportunities for us to tell people about our God, his power, his sovereignty, to, to help them understand that these events are designed to show people his wrath against sin and that he's given them an opportunity to repent. Beloved, that is what every calamity is designed to do. They are God's warning shots across the bow of humanity that unless they repent of their sins and trust in Christ, and in tr trust in Christ alone, they will experience a far worse judgment. And do you realize that what we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 8 is not new in the Scriptures? If we go back to Joshua, the book of Joshua... In Joshua chapter 10, we have the account of five kings combining their forces with the intent to attack the people of Israel, to attack the people of God. Now listen to what happened on that day. This is verse 11 of Joshua chapter 10. And as they fled, that is the combined strength of the five armies. Notice they're already fleeing in front of God's people. While they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. God was fighting for his people. I don't know. Was this the original air raid? I don't know. See, the point is that God used what he had created as a means of deliverance for his people. Now, if that wasn't fantastic enough, something else happened on that day. The sun stood still. 
And we read this in verses 12 and 13. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ahijalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. Now, there are some things that I read in Scripture. Well, there's a lot of things I read in Scripture that I just absolutely marvel at. And here is one of them. And to be honest with you, I kind of chuckled at the way that it's translated here. The last part of verse 13, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. <laughs> you see what's going on here? It's like the sun says to the moon, dude, you got some time off. Now think about this. From the dawn of creation, the sun has risen and the sun has set and the moon has followed. But here on this one particular day, God fighting on behalf of his people stops the sun. They needed more daylight to complete the task. And God stopped the sun. And just the way it's said here, the, the, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry. Like I just, I'm just out for a little stroll here. I'm just relaxing and I'm just chilling a little bit. You guys get done what you need to get done. God has in the past. He continues to do so in the present. And he will in the future. Use nature. To deliver his people. Observation number three. Though the trumpet judgments are severe. And are not to be ignored. They are still an act of God's grace. Though these judgments are severe. And certainly we must not ignore them. They are an act of God's grace. You say, what do you mean? Well, if you remember back to the seven seals, it talks about the destruction of a, of a fourth. In other words, it wasn't a complete and utter destruction. God spared three quarters. Here, with the seven trumpets, that is increased to one third. But still, God spares Two-thirds. It's not a complete judgment, is it? It's a partial judgment. Now, why is this? Because God, in his grace, is giving sinful mankind the opportunity to repent of their ways, to confess their sins, and to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's why it's not complete, utter destruction. The fact that only one-third is affected is an example of God's grace. It's an example of God's patience. The fact that only one-third is destroyed proves the scripture that says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He gives sinful mankind the opportunity to do that. These upheavals in nature are designed by God to get people's attention, 
to warn them that as severe as these judgments are, there are more severe judgments to come. And mankind should respond. You think they would respond, but sadly many don't. I have no doubt that what we experienced on Friday with the record-setting win was an act of both judgment and grace. I have no doubt about that at all. The howling winds carried a message of judgment, but it also carried a message of grace. For those who are listening, they could hear that. So what do we learn from this passage? Let me give you three or four things. Number one, God means what he says. God means what he says. God says through the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, the soul that sins shall what? Die. God said in Romans, the wages of sin is death. God hates sin. God will judge sin. But the good news is God will also forgive sin. And both the opening of the seven seals and the sounding of the seven trumpets clearly demonstrate that God means what he says. God is not an indulgent parent who continually makes, I don't want to use the word threats, issues corrections to their children but never follows through on them. Right? God said it. He means it, and he will follow through on it. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is patient. But he will follow through on what he says. God means what he says. Number two, because God means what he says, we must take all sin seriously. We must take all sin seriously. There are no little sins. You know, we like to talk about well, it's just a little white lie. What does that mean? Uh, honestly, what does that mean? A lie is a lie is a lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness, no matter what color it is. We must take all sin seriously. We must understand that as Christians, listen carefully, Listen carefully, we're in a battle for this today. The church is in a battle for this today. We must understand that as Christians, it is God who determines what sin is and what sin is not. It's not a church council. It's not a city council. It's not a board of education. It is none of those entities. What they say doesn't matter. If God says it is sin, it is sin. God sets the severity of sin, not us, not our culture. Number three, we see God's power displayed in judgment. At the risk of repeating myself, what we experienced on Friday was a display of God's power. Now, I don't know about you, it was an awesome display of power, wasn't it? I've been alive so many years. I've never, I've never experienced wind like that. I don't know why. I'm kind of weird. I, I had to keep going outside. Now, if anybody knows me, you know that I do not like my hair messed up. But 
I was going, I let her fly. I just kept going outside. And Sherry's like, what are you doing? I want to go out. I want to, I want to experience this. It was an awesome display of God's power, but it was, his power was displayed in what? In judgment. Those winds that toppled those trees and knocked out the power for, what, a half million people in Kentucky, they were, uh, that, those winds were under the direction of God Almighty, not this fictional character named Mother Nature. Number four. The opening of the seven seals and the sounding of the seven trumpets demonstrate that God is aware of all the evils of mankind. And he will not, he cannot overlook them. God is watching. God sees all. God knows all. You can run, but you can't hide. There's no place you can go to escape. God is aware. And, and I know as Christians, many times it feels like we're so isolated and that the culture is crumbling around us. Immorality is celebrated while morality is looked upon as old-fashioned. But beloved, God takes note. And he will deal with it. The opening of the seven seals were incredibly good news for God's people. Remember the 144,000 were sealed as a result of the opening of the seals. Well, likewise, the opening of the seven trumpets or the blowing of the seven trumpets are incredibly bad news for all the unsaved. But along with the bad news, there is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that God has made a way of escape. God has made a way for every sinner to be able to flee the wrath to come. You say, what is that way? It is to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is that even though you are a sinner... Jesus has paid the price for sin. And if you will renounce your self-righteousness and give up this illusion that somehow your works are good enough to garner the acceptance and the approval of God, if you'll divest yourself of those lies, and if you will repent of your sins, means you turn away from those sins, you change your mind about sin. You don't love sin anymore. And you turn to Christ and embrace the forgiveness that he offers. You will be spared on the final day of judgment. I said earlier that a trumpet blast is designed to get our attention. Has God gotten your attention? Have you heard the sound of the blast this morning? The warning of God that unless you repent of your sins and turn to Christ in faith, that you will be judged eternally. Well, the good news is, if you haven't come to Christ, the Bible says that today can be your day of salvation. 